I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. Welcome into Football Another F-Words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-WordsPod. Every Monday and Thursday, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time is a football show with me and Brain Gall, 440 Sports Network collaboration with Football and Other F-Words. It is great. We, ju- we just recorded, actually, I say every Monday and Thursday, but today we recorded on Tuesday uh, because Braden was at SEC Media Day. So he is there live. He's on the ground. He got a lot of interviews, so make sure you go listen to that. Today, we continue trying to find a replacement for Michael Gillum. Uh, we start off today with a, the next contestant being Justin Graver of, of at Titans Film Room on Twitter. You can listen to his podcast that just came out on Tuesday, every Tuesday morning, the Music City Audible Tennessee Titans podcast with Justin Mello of Broad, Broad, uh, BroadwaySportsMedia.com. I was going to say Broadway Draft Network, but that is the draft network where Justin Mello is also associated with. Justin, you are with NFL Network. Can, can we say that? Is that allowed to say? Yeah, I mean, everybody knows, right? I think so. NFL media. NFL I don't want Network. NFL to come sue me because I said NFL <laughs> Network. So I just want to make sure that it is okay to say that you are an NFL Network family member. That is correct. I produce audio content for the NFL media group, NFL Network. It's a pretty cool gig. I mean, you could have sexed it up a little bit. I mean, I set you up here. You could have said, I am the audio director of all things uh, audio content at NFL Network. Uh, basically, I do all the podcasts, is how I would say it. Yeah, well, I do the the best podcast. Let's be clear yes. around the NFL. It's the best one. So the uh, it's been a while since we recorded. I guess the flex would have been the last thing that we recorded together. The now defunct fantasy football podcast of uh, BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Uh, we've had you on when we recorded when it was like four of us, I think. Right? Have we had you on since we've we've gotten big? Since we've hit the big time? I don't think. I did it with your gang. We, I think you and I and Mello did one that was like a F words MCA crossover yeah. sometime last off season. But uh, yeah, so I don't you, think it's been a while. This lets you know that you've actually hit it the big hit the big time now that you're back on the football and other F words for technically the first time since we've gained notoriety uh, <laughs> as the best podcast in the nation. Um, yeah. Let's get let you get some things off your chest starting it off and. We, I know that Mike uh, last week kind of got pretty much unleashed on the Colts, but I know we always have time for Colts slander, and I know you want to talk about the Colts, so go after Colts fans, Colts media, whatever you need to go after. Well, it's not Colts media necessarily, but I do get annoyed as you know a Titans fan and someone who covers the Titans. Every offseason, it seems like the Colts can do no wrong. And the thing this offseason is they traded for Matt Ryan, which, like, good for them. But let's talk about the fact that the Colts shipped off Carson Wentz in February with literally no plan. They had no plan to replace him. And the fact that they get lucky enough that the Falcons fail in their pursuit of Deshaun Watson – to, to put Matt Ryan even on the trade block and that the Falcons want to do right by Matt Ryan. So they give him up for half of what the Wentz trade got the Colts and everyone praises Chris Ballard for it. Like, wow, look how the Colts solved their quarterback situation again after the huge Carson Wentz disaster. Like, yeah, the Carson Wentz thing was a disaster. They don't get 
that doesn't get talked about enough. It's like, let's just praise them for getting Matt Ryan and trading for Yannick Ngakwe and signing Stefan Gilmore. And the Colts are going to win the AFC South now, obviously, because there's no way the Titans can do it. it. Just, it bugs me. It's like Chris Ballard traded in a 2022 Tahoe for Carson Wentz, who is a 1998 Honda uh, um, Accord that barely runs, right? And then he decides to trade in the Honda Accord, the 98 Honda Accord for a 2004 Pontiac Sunfire. Like that's not, you know, you, you still traded away a, a 2022 Ford Bronco or Chevy Tahoe or whatever I used. I already forgot what I used for a 2004 <laughs> Pontiac Sunfire. Like I, I don't get the, the Colts love. Um, I, I, I said that Jim Irsay must be giving everybody drugs. And uh, I think that's everybody's just constantly on some kind of Colts uh, laced drug. Don't know what it technically would be called. Maybe the pony show is what we could call it. You know, that would be a good drug nickname. But it feels like they're they're pretty much just all smoking whatever they're going to give them just because they hate Tennessee for some reason that to this point. And I do blame, I think, a little bit of the hate coming towards Titans and coming towards uh, wanting to talk about them does stem from fan interaction on Twitter because the to Titans fans, they just can't help themselves. They, they, they have no, no manners. The Southern hospitality flies out the window at the first chance of any kind of microaggression against the Tennessee Titans. I do think the Titans fans on Twitter are more sensitive than most. I mean, you find that with every fan base, right? But We've seen guys like Jeff Schwartz, Aaron Schatz, the whole Football Outsiders team, and even the Pro Football Focus guys. They know if they tweet something negative about the Titans, Titans fans are going to amplify and blast that everywhere. And it's just free clout for them because Titans fans are a little sensitive on Twitter. But And, and if they say something okay. good about Tennessee Titans, nobody will ever know because nobody shares it. I think they, they <laughs> know the formula that I, I would say that Jeff Schwartz could say, and I've seen him do it for other teams, right? The Buffalo Bills comes as a prime example. He'll say something really nice about the Buffalo Bills, and then he'll be all like, well, just the other day you said this, make up your mind, and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, your team can be bad at some things and good at others, and it's okay for people to call you out on it because, I, because I mean, we all know how this fan base just basically blows with the wind. The, the direction changes with the wind and i think no no, no greater purse player probably personifies that right now than ryan Tannehill for the tennessee titans and the fan base seems to forget everything about 2020 and about 2019 and can only focus on 2021 and then specifically just focus on the playoff game um not not trying to absolve ryan Tannehill of any um blame that he is to share in with this whole fiasco that happened in the playoffs but there was a lot in the regular season in my opinion he he was the jenga piece he was the piece of the puzzle that held everything together on offense it may not have been pretty but they went 12 and 5 now i know right. you are a little ups you got some viewpoints on this ryan Tannehill thing so let's let's dive into that yeah, I've just been a little bit annoyed at how quickly the fan base seems to have totally and completely soured on Ryan Tannehill. I mean, after the 2019 season, he won Comeback Player of the Year. Titans fans were like hating on anyone who would disrespect. The same thing we just talked about, sensitive Titans fans. If somebody in the media 
tweeted about how Tannehill wasn't truly an elite quarterback. People, Titans fans on Twitter are throwing the 2019, 2020 stats where he's like top of the list in EPA per pass attempt and passer rating and yards per attempt and all these stats where he's just crushing it, like looking like an elite quarterback on paper. And then, you know, you, you watch football. We all watch football. We're like, okay, he's not quite an elite quarterback, but he's a very good quarterback. At least he has been with the Titans in the year and a half or so. And then 2021 happens, and it's like, we forgot all about all that. Titans fans want to just crap all over Tannehill. Like, he's one of the worst starters in the league, which is absolutely not the case. And I just think that there's a very extreme reaction where if he's not the best, then suddenly he's the worst. And I know it's all part of this, like, this is the world we live in today. Everything is the extreme end. But I just think that there's a middle ground we as Titans fans can find where we appreciate what we have in Ryan Tannehill and know that, yeah, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. He never will be. But he's good enough to get you there in he's this beat, era He's got winning records against both those, both those uh, players both that those you just guys. mentioned. He beat them both in the regular season last year, even with all the injuries. I mean, they weren't that injured when they played those teams. But even with everything that was going on, to beat both of those teams, beat Matthew Stafford, beat Russell Wilson, like all the guys that are talked about as the top quarterbacks in the NFL, I think the only player he's never beaten head-to-head is Aaron Rodgers as a Titan, that is. And he's only played him once, I think. So he'll have a chance to beat Aaron Rodgers this year if he can in the regular season. And I know it's like, oh, regular season, regular season, doesn't matter. Let's show it in the playoffs. And that's true. You know, that is a fair point. We do need to see it for real in the playoffs. But I don't know. I just feel like there's all this hype about Malik Willis and Titans fans, especially on Twitter, just seem to suddenly hate Ryan Tannehill and blame him for every negative thing that's happened. Can we find the like reasonable middle ground here where we appreciate that we have Tannehill as a solid quarterback and know that it's really, really hard to find someone better like a Patrick Mahomes. They don't just fall in your lap. There's only and a maybe, few of them in the maybe world, Malik so. is that guy that just falls in your lap, but I, I think there's a, a major cross section of the fans on Twitter who woke up from 2015 to 20 uh, and through all the way through half point of 2019, having to talk about Marcus. They and they would wake up defending Marcus even if nobody said anything. Right? They're they're one of those they're those fans that came up, and you could say, well, Marcus threw an incompletion on that one. He missed this receiver. It didn't look like his receiver was on the same page. And they would just jump in your mentions and just bash you for bashing Marcus because he's a nice guy. Even though it could have been Marcus's fault, they would come in and bash you. Now, the revisionist history of those pro-Marcus people that would wake up every morning and and just basically tweet that, oh, it's a beautiful – good morning, Titans fan. It's a beautiful day, Titans fans, because we got Marcus as our quarterback. Those people would say that the the people that bashed Marcus were the loudest and the most prevalent. And that is not true. It was the Marcus defenders who would jump into even Mike's mentions. I just remember it plain as day. He could say, you know, uh, Marcus, Marcus fumbled and Marcus legit fumbled. And they would come in and say, well, it's not his fault. It's someone else's fault. Blah, 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 blah. They would do pile you in with 15 different excuses on why Marcus, who nobody was around and fumbled the ball. It was someone else's fault. Those same people are the same people who wake up every morning and go out of their way to bash Ryan Tannehill. It's, I'm not shocked by this. I just think it's funny that 
people wake up mad at Ryan Tannehill, just like people woke up being in love with Marcus. And I think it all just stems back that these people don't know what quarterback play entails. They don't know the game of football by and large. Now there are some people that are, that fit this criteria that do know a little bit about football, but my point is, is let it at this point, let it go. If you're not interested in a Ryan Tannehill led team for the Tennessee Titans, and you're just here to, you know, go for Malik Willis, by all means, feel that way. Just leave, leave us alone and leave Twitter alone. Right. Use Twitter for something else. Totally the, agree. Yeah. Like, I'm, the Titans, what ranked 32nd in Titans receivers ranked 32nd in separation last year. It's like, Oh, I guess that's Tannehill's fault too, because he right. wasn't ordering them to get open strongly enough. Well, you look at uh, Warren Sharp's football book just came out, and I've been trying, I've been with what little free time I have been going through that information. And a lot of this stems from Todd Downey not putting Ryan Tannehill in situations before the snap with pre snap motion and after the snap or during the snap, I guess, with play action passes. Two things that Ryan Tannehill excelled at were not used in the same frequency under Art Smith. That is huge because you've and the fact that they could never get comfortable because they were had injuries throughout the offense all the time. And we I'm one of the people when the few times I've been wrong was downplaying the importance of building chemistry over the summer in these camps and in these training camps. I just downplayed him like, well, it's Julio Jones. Julio is a Hall of Famer. He can go out there and catch passes from anybody wrong. Oh, Nate Davis is is injured and he's he's missing all of the offseason. Well, that's okay. I mean, he was in this system last year and he, he got an all-pro vote. Wrong. I mean, that stuff, this stuff matters, and I'm not gonna downplay anything this year, but I I I'm with you. The only way to get to the playoffs is for Ryan Tannehill and the offense to win games in the regular season, which they won 12 of them last year. They had the most wins against teams with winning records in the NFL by a wide margin, I think by two games yeah, at least. And the, he was the one constant, him and Ben Jones were the two constants on offense. Everybody else was injured and everybody else was in and out or had role-playing roles or whatever. And they were the two constants. And yeah, he sucked. And Todd Downing also sucked. And Mike Vrabel made some bad decisions in that Cincinnati Bengals game. But the Bengals got lucky against the Chiefs. And you don't see everybody trying to get rid of Patrick Mahomes. And you don't see everybody trying to get rid of Andy Reid. The, the Bengals, you know, just were that team. They were the New York Giants uh, with Eli Manning against Tom Brady except for the different outcome in the Super Bowl, they were just one of those teams that just got lucky at the right time. Right. I mean, so many fluke plays that Bengals like got turnovers on in the playoffs. And football is not like basketball or baseball or most sports. It's a one-game series. And those fluky plays can really change the outcome, and it totally messes with our perception. We talk about it a lot with like small sample size because the NFL is like the most obvious case of small sample size where we form conclusions that are not – good conclusions because we just don't have enough evidence and yeah ryan Tannehill played a really shitty game in the playoffs last year but you know greg rosenthal who watches every quarterback for his qb index column writes for nfl.com is on the around the nfl podcast that i produce i talked to him after that that playoff game and he he was saying you know i rewatched the coach's film and i really don't think Tannehill was as bad as everyone says he was like yeah he had a couple misses he had some a couple bad interceptions but 
The receivers were not getting open. Play calling was questionable. Blocking was not good. The Titans' pass blocking has not been good for Ryan Tannehill, basically, since he got to Tennessee. So, you know, bring in Tim Kelly. Let's see what happens this season. That's such a cliche to say is let's see what happens. But, like, I, we don't have another option right now. You're not trotting Malik Willis out there as a third-round rookie, raw player who needs development time. Obviously, Logan Woodside is, you know, the most boring backup quarterback in the league, probably. So, Tannehill, you won 12 games with a 91 player team last the titans had 91 active players last year most in nfl history maybe this year if Traylon burks actually can play football we'll see i guess but you know robert woods he's a pro nick westbrook akina he's got some chemistry with Tannehill, even if he's also a very boring player i don't know i think this titans team can be good again in 2022 and i think that all the national media bias just sets them up to be the underdogs, which Titans Twitter loves to be the underdogs. And I think the Titans in the locker room also like being the underdogs. They're they're going to be that team like they were in 2020, like they were in 2021, and really like they were in 2019, where everybody's like, why does this team keep st still winning games? And it's because of Mike Vrabel. Like, that's right. the thing, is that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, I think this is their best roster to date. Because I feel like it's the roster that best complements what they want to do. They want to run the football. They want to do play action. They want to get yards after the catch. They want to play great, consistent defense with pass rush and coverage consistency. They have all the pieces. This is really the – if this is the best roster and they went 12-5 and five last year, and I, you got to say there is at least a 10 to 20% chance that this team – can be just as good as they were last year in a different way. And maybe right. they don't, they're not 12 and five, but maybe they're 11 and six, or maybe they're 13 and four and they look like a better, more complete football team and go on to win the super bowl. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Ryan Tannehill with Tim, the addition of Tim Kelly can go back to art Smith football and be that quarterback in and make it to the Super Bowl because I, I, let's use Kirk Cousins, which I think Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill are practically the same quarterback. They're close. <laughs> the, the there was a linebacker for the uh, Minnesota Vikings that uh, I think he doesn't play for them anymore. I think he's retired, but he played for them up until last year. And he said that with Mike Zimmer gone, everybody's going to see the Kirk Cousins that has shown promise because they were what the tenth or twelfth ranked offense last year but their defense was ranked 32 and Mike Zimmer, he and Kirk cousins did not get along because it's, I say this numerous times on the podcast, but Warren Sharp has hated Mike Zimmer more than probably any human being in America because their passing game works with Adam Thielen. They had Stefan Diggs and then now Justin Jefferson, their, their passing offense has worked and he always goes away from it. Even when Kirk cousins actually performing well, because the defense sucks and so he doesn't want he doesn't want to get in a shootout. He wants to play close games, and that's what Mike Vrabel does. But Mike Vrabel is at least a successful head coach, and want can, he needs to have a game that can pass when he wants to pass. And I think that Ryan Tannehill can be a quarterback that wins a Super Bowl. Is he a quarterback that wins you the Super Bowl? Maybe not, but he can win a Super right. Bowl. And there is a difference between the two. I think it's really underrated how much Tannehill missed having a reliable option last season. Like somebody like, 
I think that Kyle Phillips is going to have a surprisingly good year and maybe not like super, super productive. Like don't start him in fantasy football. Don't draft him in fantasy football or anything like that. But the addition of Phillips and Austin Hooper, two players who can win. Austin Hooper can win over the middle, down the seam. We know Tannehill loves to throw the ball down the seam over the middle. And Kyle Phillips can be a safety blanket underneath that can help Tannehill get rid of the ball faster. And, you know, there's so many times last year it felt like Tannehill's just like holding the ball, holding the ball, holding the ball in the pocket. Nobody's open, so he either takes a sack or throws it away or throws a bad incompletion. And there just wasn't anybody on the roster that could win really quickly underneath. Like, obviously, A.J. Brown was really good when he was on the field, and Tannehill peppered him with targets when he was out there. Like, in the the Chiefs game or the Niners game last year, like, without A.J. Brown, they probably don't win those games. And maybe without A.J. Brown this season, it's going to be a tough, tough for the offense to go. But I think having somebody like Austin Hooper – Having somebody like Kyle Phillips, just like reliable targets. They don't necessarily need to be game breakers, but give someone Tannehill can depend on. I think that's going to make a big difference in an underrated way that people haven't talked about hardly at all this offseason. That includes national people, and it even includes the Titans local media. Like It's like, oh yeah, they signed Austin Hooper. Cool, good, good move. But like not really talking about how much that can open up the offense for everyone else, and Tannehill especially. Everybody wants to put up the A.J. Brown loss as this huge thing just because, um, you know, he was their best wide receiver that they've seen to date. But I think people forget that in 2021, there's a lot of dud games. Like, you look at it, he has only three 100-yard games, and they were huge, massive games, right? They're against Kansas, against Indianapolis, and against San Francisco, and they were all over – 120 yards okay 130 yards all of those games but then you look at it, you got 49 yards 43 yards zero yards uh of course he went out in the indianapolis game and had trouble staying healthy 38 yards here's one for 91 against buffalo which was a good game 42 yards 16 yards 48 yards 41 yards 68 yards that's not you know that's almost like 50 percent of your production came in three games yeah. Now let's let's try to get maybe you know three or four wide receivers that get maybe 75 yards. I think that's better than having just one guy try to carry the load. And listen, they didn't try to have AJ Brown carry the load. They tried to bring in Julio Jones and it failed. Ultimately, it's it's a failure. I'd still if if I didn't know anything I, if I went time travel and erased my brain of anything that was actually coming ahead and I did not know how Hula Jones was going to turn out, I would still want them to make the trade. You know, it's revisionist history to go back and see, you can criticize the trade and say, yes, it is a failure. But at the time, nobody thought it was going to be a failure except for some Falcons fans that everybody should have listened to, apparently. I guess so. Um, you know, we're talking about these wide receivers, so let's talk about this new crop of wide receivers, and let's talk about some storylines. Training Rookie training camp starts on Friday. Training camp for the rest of everybody starts on uh, July 28th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Traylon Burks, obviously, I guess you could almost say he's the error apparent to A.J. Brown when really maybe we should just be saying he's just Traylon Burks, which is the way I'm going to go with it. Where are you at? Because you talked a little bit about it with when Mike Kernison was on the Music City Audible, I think three episodes ago, mm-hmm. four episodes ago. Um where are you at on your level of concern? What would it take for you to be super concerned about Traylon Burks? Because I said on a football show, 
if he's missing consistently every week, three to four practices, then maybe I my concern starts to grow. If he's missing maybe one day or two days that are spread out as rest days, which are obvious rest days, then maybe I'm not going to be too concerned. So where where is your threshold for concern coming from? I am, I guess I'm more concerned for him as a player than I am for what he means to the team. Because I think when you talk about replacing AJ Brown, replacing AJ Brown, I say in air quotes because I don't think they're going to do that necessarily. But really, you brought in Robert Woods to be AJ. If AJ Brown was your number one receiver last year, you brought in Robert Woods to be your number one receiver this year. You didn't draft Traylon Burks to be your number one receiver right away. So as far as my concern goes with that, like, yeah, I'm concerned that he's going to get off to a slow start in his NFL career. I'm concerned that he won't necessarily know the offense and have a great chemistry with Ryan Tannehill by week one. But do 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 the Titans need him to? I guess if he isn't ready to like be practicing a lot in training camp by, I don't know, the first preseason game, if he hasn't been worked in to the practice load heavily by the first preseason game, that's when I'm really going to start to worry about how much he's going to contribute for like the first half of the season. But if he's out there, like you said, most days in training camp, get, taking a rest day every few days, I'm not going to be that concerned because I watched the kid play at, in our, at Arkansas in college, and he is he's a game breaker. He goes up and gets the ball over defensive backs. He has breakaway speed, made tons of big plays. The Titans don't have a lot of guys that you can count on to make explosive plays. I think that's probably the weakest area of the offense right now. So if Traylon Burks can be that guy, it helps a lot. But if he can't be that guy, then the offense probably looks a lot like it did last season, which isn't ideal, but you can win. Obviously, the Titans won 12 games with that offense, and I think that you know for the most part they'll be okay. If you can get Traylon Burks up to speed for the second half of the year and most importantly the playoffs – my that's where you really need him so my concern is probably like a four out of ten maybe three or four out of ten yeah i look at Traylon burke's kind of it's kind of shifted over time okay well you know it's un, i've always thought that's unfair for him to be compared to aj brown which ultimately that's going to happen just because of the circumstances around it yeah i've always said that if he can match 2021 aj brown's production which is uh 869 yards and uh, five touchdowns. That is a good rookie season for a wide receiver in this particular offense. That may not be great for a Vikings offense that had Justin Jefferson. They throw the ball a lot, but for this offense, that's a great, I think, rookie wide receiver season. I also think that if he were to be, have a slow start, like you said, and he were to, you know, lack some, I guess some of that chemistry with Ryan Tannehill, I still think that overall the pass catchers and the run game and the, the running backs in the run game are better than what Ryan Tannehill worked with the majority of the year, even without Traylon Burks. That's, that's how low I am specifically on the tight end group. I think the tight end group has drastically shifted from last year. And I think when you have a healthy Derrick Henry, that also takes the pressure off of everything that's going on in the passing game. I think that NWI, a third, I guess, year of NWI where he's actually even more and more involved. They really like him. He seems to be catching on. It seems the coaches go out of their way to talk about Des Fitzpatrick, which is a good thing, even though I'm still highly skeptical. But I love <laughs> Kyle Phillips. I love Robert Woods. 
I think both those guys can both those guys with Nick Westbrook, Kine, and the tight ends and a healthy Derrick Henry are better than what they had for the majority of last year. That won 12 games. And, you know, last year, the, the, so this team, if you think about the on paper 2021 Titans, I think it's a different conversation. But what you're saying is I fully agree. We're not talking about where we were first game of the year, hoping some players would have major impacts, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, and also Darrington Evans. They were counting on Darrington Evans to be a third down pass catching back last year, someone who could be a factor in the passing game out of the backfield and add another element to the offense. He got hurt, I think, on like his third carry of the year. We never saw him again. Um, Dontrell Hilliard was signed in the middle of the the season, didn't have a chance to like learn the offense or work with anyone. He's back this year, full OTAs, full offseason, and will have a full training camp. In OTAs, there was a, a red zone drill where he caught two touchdowns in six plays or something like that from Ryan Tannehill in the red zone, out of the backfield as a receiver. Add that element to the offense. It's something that you thought you had going into last season with Darrington Evans, but you didn't actually ever really have it. So I fully agree. I think that the group that Tannehill actually has to work with now, granted, the same fucking thing could happen this year. and Everyone gets hurt and you don't have as good a group as you think you do. But, you know, I think you can safely say that injuries will not be as bad as last year. Um, are there concerns? Sure. Robert Woods coming off a torn ACL. We saw Bud Dupree and Taylor Lewan last year struggle to get going quickly. We saw, you know, AJ Brown missed so much time last year. Like we've seen a lot of rookies for the Titans who didn't play much in trading camp, not have an impact. So that could be Traylon Burks this year. I think for Traylon, it's more about does the coaching staff trust him to know what he's doing more than it is like, is he healthy enough to play? Because I think he will be healthy enough and be in good enough condition to play. It's just like, can he learn the offense and show the coaches he knows the offense so he can be on the field is the most important thing. But I think Tannehill's going to have better chemistry with his pass catchers. And yeah, the tight end group, vast upgrade. I wonder how much Chiga Quanco is going to play early on. Because I, I mean, the way... Don't, but... I, I think the way that the that training camp is trending or I guess I should say the off season is trending is that I think that he'll play just as much as Anthony Ferkser did last year. Uh, I think he's the number two tight end in terms. Uh, I think he's going to be their guy that they put in to get um, some yards after the catch and everything. But I, I know that maybe his blocking's not where it needs to be, but it can't be much worse than Jeff Swaim right now. And <laughs> he provides you more upside, but it seems to me he went to tight end university but it also seems to me that when he is talking and when people talk about him, they talk about his mental game and his attitude being so exceptional. And I think that is something that you didn't really hear about Johnny Smith. And Johnny Smith is the easy comp, but he was also the comp for about everybody across the nation, not just Titans people. The Chicks comp, a common comp across the nation was always Johnny Smith. It just happened to be that he lands with the team that had Johnny Smith. And I think he's a little bit ahead of where Johnny Smith was as a rookie in terms of added in terms of the mental aspect. I think Johnny Smith was a little bit more polished, but I think that Chigo Konkwu can get there very quickly. And I, I think he'll be a factor this year. I kind of do too. And like, I think it's always interesting to see how much the rookies are working with the first team in OTAs. And that's something I'm going to be watching for in training camp is how much do the rookies play with Ryan Tannehill? In OTAs, he was catching touchdowns and big passes over the middle, not from Logan Woodside, not from Malik Willis, but from Tannehill. So, 
same thing I just said about Traylon Burks. Like if the coaching staff trusts him to know what he's doing, he'll be out there with the first team and he could actually have a bigger impact than people across the nation, especially like national media covering the Titans who think that the Titans got way worse this off season, mostly because of AJ Brown. Like if you ask anyone who covers just the NFL broadly, are the Titans better or worse this year? They'll say universally, they will say worse and they'll point to AJ. Well, you lost AJ Brown. So obviously you're worse this year. You know, nobody points to, well, they signed Austin Hooper. They drafted another tight end. They drafted a first round receiver. They drafted a fifth round receiver. There's a chance that the Titans are better. I mean, most people don't expect it. I don't think they're going to get the one seed this year. I think that's more because the Chiefs and the Bills and the Chargers and the Broncos are all better. I don't know if the Chiefs are better, but all those other teams are better. I don't know if the, the Broncos Titans could are be better. better too. I, I, I think mean, we got to remember that three of those teams that you named are in the same division. That that actually right. helps the Titans case in the AFC seeding for the, the division winners because those three guys are going to be beating each other up. You know, another thing to true. play into, and we mentioned it here and there is that Tim Kelly, we mentioned all these additions via the draft of free agency, but much like Jim Schwartz for the team last year, Tim Kelly could be the biggest acquisition for the uh, jump in offensive production, just like Jim Schwartz was for Shane Bowen. Right, and you mentioned how much the Titans went away from play action last year. I think Tim Kelly is going to be someone who comes in the room and says, why? Why'd you do that? This quarterback is great with play action. And like, yeah, Derrick Henry was out, but Dontrell Hilliard and Deontay Foreman, they were running for 100 yards. Like as a team, the Titans are still running for over 100 yards almost every week, even without Henry. Use play action more. Put your quarterback and your receivers in a better position. I totally agree. And I also think Tim Kelly's going to affect the vertical passing game. The Titans' explosive play rate last year was so low. And I think it was like you had these long, sustained drives, like eight play, 10 play, 12 play drives. Titans would have to go mistake free for the whole drive because they weren't popping off for 25, 35 yard plays. There was like eight yards, 10 yards, eight yards, four yards. So this year, you know, you add Tim Kelly to hopefully create more explosive plays. And then there's more margin for error on the offensive side of the ball. When you don't connect on like second and nine or whatever, you have the ability to pick up nine yards on third down, which I think they really struggled to do last year. Yeah, I, I think you, you're right in both those cases. You know, hopping over to the offensive line, big questions surrounding offensive line. Obviously, Raidens is being cemented in as the right tackle. We finally get clarity on that. It took a, a long time, but we got clarity on that. I think it's Aaron Brewer's job to lose at left guard. And I think that when you're looking at Aaron Brewer, you're hoping that you're lo looking at Dennis Kelly – in 2020 when everybody's like well can he do it for 17 games is he gonna or 16 games is gonna be that good and he was able to do it that's what you're kind of hoping for Aaron Burr you know he's not great but can he be average or better for night for 17 games at minimum yeah you worry about I think his size holding up in in protection and even as like a run blocker you know the bigger guys like are more often considered road graders i've always thought aaron brewer's best role would be the swing interior alignment because he can play all three of those interior spots and and step in and play any of them immediately and play them well if somebody went down but what you're saying is definitely possible he could be the guy that cements himself as the left guard because he knows the system he's been here the longest of anybody competing for that job which maybe it's just him and jamarco jones but um yeah, can he can he hold up for a whole season? Well, playing next to Ben Jones and Taylor Lewan should help. Right, I think. 
Um, and he played well in spot duty, filling in for Roger Saffold, who was in and out of the lineup all season. I was watching randomly uh, doing something for work yesterday, and I came across a Derrick Henry 2021 reel. And I don't know if anyone remembers this, but he had a really nice long touchdown against the Seahawks where he, like, palmed Quandre Diggs into the turf. The first person in the end zone celebrating with him was Aaron Brewer. And I sat there and thought for a second, like, oh, wow, did Aaron Brewer, was this like a 6-0 lineman type of player? Was Aaron Brewer playing in the Seahawks game? I just don't remember it. But, I mean, he's on the field for big plays with Derrick Henry. I think that whoever wins the job is going to be someone who has to earn the job which gives me confidence that they will be able to hold up, I guess. I don't know. Offensive line is probably the biggest concern anyone has about the Titans overall in, in this season. I, I think that if they can figure out their answer at left guard fairly quickly and start building chemistry about have their starting offensive line set about the second or third week of training camp, you know, before that first preseason game, I think you can see Mark, marked improvement over what you saw last year. Uh, um, I, I have, I feel good, tentatively good about, not as good as I felt about the team last year, but I feel tentatively good about the offensive line with a Taylor one year removed from his injury. Aaron Brewer at left guard. I don't feel good about Jamarco Jones. Even if he beats out Aaron Brewer, that must mean that that left guard spot is going to be the worst spot ever. It's going to be like a, uh, Will Svitek in there or something like that, you know, <laughs> one of those guys where they're just getting beat every play. Ben Jones, I feel good about Nate Davis being having a healthy offseason, looking great, being away from COVID. And um, uh, Dylan Reigns, I feel good about Dylan Reigns on the right side, and I feel good about NPF being able to be someone for the future, not necessarily this year, but if they need him this year, I think they can put him in it this year. And I think they'd put him in at right tackle and put Dylan Raiden's over at left. That's my philosophy, but we'll see. Um, and um, Taylor Lewan is not technically in a contract year, but with no guaranteed money left, he is effectively in a contract year. He has to prove this season that he can still play left tackle at a high level or he will be cut. Nate Davis also in a contract year. Dylan Radins is in like a prove that you belong in the NFL year and whoever wins a left guard job knows there's somebody breathing down their neck the whole season. So all four of those guys are super motivated to have a great season. Ben Jones, I have no concerns about being a, probably the best uh, lineman on the team. So if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic about the offensive line, I think there are plenty. Yeah. You know, defensively, I think this is the best defense on paper, at least, that the Tennessee Titans have fielded. And obviously, the T Tennessee Titans team looked great on defense last year. Uh, they are still getting a little bit disrespect for ever how much stock you want to put into certain lists by certain people that maybe choose one metric to base off their rankings off of. We don't really know, for the most part, what is taken into account. But I, I, we talked about it on the football show last week. We were talking about the def defense and how it stacks up against AFC South. And, and I said that's easily the best defense in the AFC South, in my opinion. And I said that it's really, I would not be surprised if they ended up at a top five, top three defense in the NFL. Now, I, I know that the, the Colts technically – when healthy, have the better inside linebacking duo. Um, I, it remains to be seen what their safety situation is going to look like. 
with what Kenny Moore is going to do with his contract, who Stefan Gilmore is at age, what, 37? Is he 37 or am I adding on it like four years? Old, but I'm that sounds maybe way too old. 31. 31. <laughs> I was way, way off. But what is That's he going to be at 31? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I, I just look at it and think that the defense is the strength of this clearly the strength of this team. And it's clearly one of the best units offense defense in the NFL. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, there's a few offenses, but I would say, I think it could be a unit when you're looking at the sides, both sides of the football top, five, uh, top 10 in the NFL for both sides. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's hard for me to think of a better defense on paper right now, sitting here with you, like, the Rams have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, so they have a star power. So people are always going to think of them highly. The Chargers acquired a ton of talent with J.C. Jackson and and Khalil Mack. Yeah, Chargers would with. be up on the list on the paper one, I think. I think so, too. But other teams, like if Jeffrey Simmons, I think it's safe to project a, a another leap forward for Jeffrey Simmons this season coming off a great year where he's truly going to cement himself as the best non-Aaron Donald defensive lineman, maybe defensive player in the league. The Colts have all these defensive ends, or outside linebackers, whatever you want to call them, that uh, they've drafted over the last few years that people are just like assuming and projecting will be good now. Like Quiddy Pay is being talked about as somebody who's, this is the year he breaks out. It's like, maybe he might. We don't have any reason really to believe that he definitely will. That's what people said about like Kamiko Ture and Ben Bagano and all these other players. (laughs) Exactly. So maybe Pay will be good or maybe he will be disappointing. Of course, they did get unique in Ngakwe. He's a great pass rusher. He's not a great run stopper. Darius Leonard just had back surgery like a month ago. And the ankles seems to be continue to give him problems. It may not even go away. He's, He's such a physical player. You have to wonder now. Is it taking its toll? Is he going to be the same guy? It, can he still make the same impact plays? Uh, he was tweeting today because he got he was like the fifth highest rated inside linebacker in the Madden ratings that are coming out, and he obviously thought he should be higher. But yeah, so I mean, I think they're clearly the best defense in the AFC South. Like the Jaguars and the Texans, like are we even going to talk about what they have on that side of the ball? Jaguars might have a have a good pass rush, but what else do they even have right now? The Texans might be the worst team still in the league <laughs> yeah. to be honest i think the titans defense like harold landry's not in a contract year is that gonna is he gonna be worse because of that i don't think so he's a team leader he works hard he's a like a player that has a really defined role where they use him all over the front bud dupree another year off the acl the only real question is caleb farley at cornerback too i mean christian fulton is probably going to establish himself as one of the best corners in the league this year he had really good numbers in coverage last year but nobody talked about him because he's a tennessee titan amani hooker contract year kevin byard had a great season brian baldinger just did a video on how good kevin byard is like last week sometime he did a little breakdown of it and like i had forgotten how good byard was last year showing him reading plays and jumping routes and picking off kyler murray josh allen um carson wentz whatever um but (laughs) i think this defense like if they improve even a little bit from what they were last year, they're the best defense in the league. It's yeah. like it, it all hinges on Caleb Farley. Can he stay healthy? Cause if he stays healthy, I think he's going to be good. Can he stay healthy? That's a big question. 
Yeah, and I think the Roger McCreary and Buster, what we saw last year, that even if Caleb Farley doesn't stay healthy, it's none of these guys that I'm about to name are technically liabilities with how good Christian Fulton has played, how good Elijah Molden plays, and how good the safeties play, right? I mean, all, all everybody playing, you know, their roles, that one cornerback role with that has been filled by Greg Maben, Buster Screen, Chris Jackson, um, Last year was even um, the Janoris Jenkins, you know, Jackrabbit. While they gave up plays, they didn't really hurt the overall production of this defense and the viability of this being a great unit. And you add in the fact that there's no Rashawn Evans anymore, addition by subtraction, right? There's no Jalen Brown who was clearly his injury. He just never got over. Those two guys are gone. You're placing with David Long. You're placing with Zach Cunningham, which I know Zach Cunningham's not great in pass coverage. Guess what? You don't have to play him in pass coverage. Like, it's not that big of a deal if he's in there. But he's great in everything else. David Long is – he's even – he's in a contract year talking about yep. taking a leadership role, getting out of his comfort zone and being more vocal. That's huge for the defense. You got Monty Rice behind them, which is, which is you know, I thought it was a reach at his draft pick. I mean, it, it, it does, may not even matter because as long as he plays well, that's really all that matters. Rashad Weaver, if he his issues that he has had uh, off the field are resolved, then you're talking about a guy that can do what Danico Autry does and play multiple spots, which is someone that we didn't even talk about was Danico Autry and how great he was. And then, you know, to me, I look at this team and I think there's never been in my, I don't, I know there was the Keith Bullock years with Albert Hainsworth, but those years were pretty much like you maybe had two or three guys that were at the, that were really, really great players, right? I'm looking at this defense. I'm looking at Danico Autry, really great player. I'm looking at Bud Dupree, really great player. May not show up on the stat sheet, but that sometimes that doesn't matter. Howard Landry, really great player. Kevin Byard, Amani Hooker, really great players. Christian Fulton, really great players. Jeffrey Simmons, elite player. That, and he may not be as elite as Vita Vey, like some people wanted to say foolishly <laughs> last year, but he is elite. And I look at it, and I, I think the only, you're right. The weakest link of this defense is the outside corner spot that is m- more than likely going to be manned by Caleb Farley. But if McCreary is as good as everybody has said he's going to be, then you may just have Elijah Molden on the uh, an, a version of Elijah Molden on the outside, a guy that everybody said in the pre-draft process he may not be as athletic or big, but he can do his job and do his job well. And if you still have him doing that, if you take Elijah Molden's rookie season and put it into Roger McCurry and put that outside, are you really going to see a big downfall in defensive production? I don't think so. And the only other area of concern is something you touched on briefly there. Can the linebackers cover? Will they bite too hard on play action? Can they cover tight ends? But like you also said, you know, as long as it's an obvious passing down, get the guys that can't cover off the field. You have Roger McCreary, you have Buster Screen, you have Chris Jackson, who can all play multiple positions in the secondary. Bring them onto the field. Leave one line, leave David Long out there to quarterback the defense and go with a lot more smaller players maybe but guys who can cover and don't worry about it you Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard can both man up on tight ends you might miss Dane Kirkshank a little bit but I don't think you'll miss him that much as much as some people wanted to believe I mean he signed like a one million dollar deal he's not some elite defensive player 
Yes, he had good games against Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, working within a good scheme to take those options away from their quarterbacks. Those coaches that came up with that scheme are still here. 10 of 11 returning starters. I am all in on this defense being elite in 2022. You you will never hear Dane Crookshank's name mentioned ever again. Like, as far yeah. as what he does NFL on the fans. field. Like, NFL yeah. fans will not know who Dane Crookshank is, and you'll forget all about him. And it's just like when Avery Williamson left. I've talked about on the football show, and I think I talked about it with Mike, too, on last week's episode, that I think fans value, think that other teams covet the players in our system more than what they actually do. Because they know who else can turn a 5'11", small linebackers like Jayon Brown, and uh, David Long into something worthwhile for your defense, but better than Mike Vrabel can. Maybe someone over on the Ravens, you know, maybe the um, Wink Martindale. Maybe Pete Carroll can do something with them, but let's be maybe Bill Belichick probably could. Bill but let's Belichick. be honest, they're not going to get the same notoriety and and all that. That's, there's a reason why Dan Crookshank got it like a. $2 million deal or whatever he got for one year is because nobody knows how he's going to work in a system away from Mike Vrabel, where he may be asked to right. do more, maybe asked to do less. They may not even view him as such. Whereas the Titans know, well, it's our system. We're the guys who are still here. We're the guys that designed the system and made sure that everybody was in their place on the defensive side of the ball. We'll just do the same with Theo Jackson. We'll just do the same with Monty Rice. We'll just do the same with Amani Hooker or Elijah Molden or Roger McCreary or whoever else they may put in that role because it doesn't have to be a safety. I think that's the thing that everybody's missing. It does not have to be Dane Crookshank who played safety. It can be anybody with Dane Crookshank's ability to be at the right time and execute the plays that are given of it. And Crookshank was a cornerback for a couple of years in college. He moved to safety his final year, but he even played that as more of like a linebacker in the box type of safety than anyone who like covered tight ends or anything like that. And it's interesting you mentioned Theo Jackson. Uh, Justin Mello published his interview with Amani Hooker yesterday on BroadwaySportsMedia.com. And in that interview, Mello asked Amani like, how does it feel being like the veteran in the room now with the young guys, Roger McCreary and Caleb Farley? And... Amani was like, hey, another guy I want to mention, Justin did not ask about this. He was like, another guy I should mention is Theo Jackson. We were all really impressed with how quickly he grasped the defense during OTAs. I think you have a good point. Theo Jackson might be somebody that nobody talks about who could have an impact on the defense this year. Well, I mean, everybody's talking about him because I don't know if you knew this or not, but he is from Nashville. He went to Tennessee. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. what everybody's going to talk about from ad nauseum. Uh, before we go... Adori, I posted up a video on Tuesday morning or posted up a link to audio on Tuesday morning to an interview with Adoree Jackson on Steve Smith's uh, podcast. And he basically confirms everything that we knew about Adoree Jackson's time here under Mike Vrabel is that they just didn't mesh well. And we really got sense that that was the case when Logan Ryan said on uh, his little segment that he used to have on the Midday 180, and when he said that basically he was coming in at like 7.59 a.m., like right under when they're supposed to be there, and everybody else had already been there for an hour and a half. And we also got it when they were talking about rehab, Mike Vrabel and his rehab and that, mis- that injury plague 2020 season, where he's just like, you know, you got 
he basically said the effort wasn't there in the rehab process for from Adoree Jackson. And he basically confirms all that. So any surprise or anything about what was said at all? And, you know, do you think that the bigger mistake in the 2017 draft, 2017 draft was drafting Adoree Jackson over Tredavious White? Because I think that's a bigger mistake than the Corey Davis pick. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, Tredavious White has became one of the best corners in the league. And I thought Adore that Jackson, at the time, by the way. This is not a revisionist thing. First off, I didn't even know who Dory Jackson was when they drafted him. <laughs> but second, I knew of Tredavious White, and I couldn't believe that he was still on the board. But that's a that's a whole – I just wanted to clarify that. I um I wrote a scouting piece on Dory Jackson like a month before the Titans drafted him. So I actually – I only wrote like four profiles, and he was one of them. So it was kind of crazy the Titans did end up drafting him. But – I think like we knew this at the time, Adoree Jackson came out of college as an athlete with raw cornerback skills that needed to be honed. And everyone said, oh, well, he did track and field in the offseason, so we never got a chance to really perfect his craft as a DB. It's like if he gets in the NFL and works really hard, then he can become an elite player. Well, I think we know now that he came in the NFL and didn't work really hard. He kind of rested on his athletic potential. Never even wanted to blame Mike Malarkey for making him focus on learning offensive plays. Like the most impact he ever had as a Titan were his offensive plays and his return ability. And something you pointed out in the group chat was that he was called a cover, uh, a return specialist and not even like billed as a cornerback. So, right. I mean, he did have a really great interception uh, of uh, against DeAndre Hopkins against the Texans one game that was probably like the best play he ever made. He had that one play where he almost caught Lamar Miller on the 97-yard touchdown where he like wasn't even on screen for most of Miller running down the field, and then he just like flies in at the last second and almost catches him. But like, I'm not super surprised by what we heard today. I think we knew, knew it didn't work out with Adoree even before his final season. We were kind of thinking – this is probably his last year in Tennessee. Yeah, and and I think that it goes, I think the bigger takeaway for me is that, not that we knew that Adoree Jackson was lackadaisical in his approach to the game of football, but it's that if you're not that guy that's going to take football seriously and join the culture, that both Mike Vrabel's going to basically cold shoulder you and John Robinson's going to let you go. And I think that's yeah. been very consistent we're getting to the point now where we shouldn't be surprised by many of the moves that this team makes because we have seen them make take chances on players that maybe they sh- they shouldn't, but they also cut their loss fairly quickly when they know that that play, okay, well, that didn't work out. They didn't conform like we needed them to conform, and they didn't perform like we needed them to perform, so let's cut bait. And Yeah, it's true. We have a pattern now we can yeah. Keep- I think it's the same with A.J. Brown is that they were willing to work and willing to negotiate, and then it got to a point where A.J. Brown's like, you know what, I'm going to make this really difficult for them because I really just want to go play with my BFF. And I I really think that's really what it boils down to is that he really just wanted to go play with his BFF, and he just wanted to be a little difficult in the process to make that more apparent. And obviously when he told Jalen Hurts three weeks before the trade to tell your GM to get me out of here, we knew that's when we should all know. And I think that's why the Titans were like, okay, well, we have faith in our system and the way that we do things. We can bring, we can replace you. It may not be a one-to-one replacement, but it will at least be enough that we're not going to hit. We're not going to suddenly be a losing team barring a catastrophic injury. 
Yeah, and I know the NFL is moving to a place where like having three really good receivers is like what everyone wants to have on their team right now. But the receiver market really exploded this offseason. And if you just look at like at the past 10 Super Bowl winners, yeah, last year the Rams and Bengals both had really great trios of wide receivers even though the Rams were decimated at the position. But like previous to that, you know, the one position group that I feel like you can win a Super Bowl with a weak link at is wide receiver. And John Robinson, Mike Vrabel grew up in the Patriots system where they never put a huge emphasis on the wide receiver position. Even, even if they did, they missed on their hit, their picks outside of like, you know, when they got Randy Moss for one season. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They had to go get Randy Moss and they had to go sign Wes Welker. The only person, because I don't, Julian Edelman was drafted, right? Wasn't he? I think he was a fourth, like fifth a round pick. Seventh round pick or something. Maybe, but he's probably the only guy that they drafted. And I'm not sure about Dion Branch. So we're having to go way back to Dion Branch. And the rest of them are guys that they, you know, like a, um, is it Troy Brown that they moved from defensive back to wide receiver? Then, and he played both ways for a long time. Like they, it's kind of biting them in the butt right now, but they're also trying to fill the void with really shitty wide receivers without Tom Brady. Right. It's different when you have Tom Brady, obviously. And I mean, Ryan Tannehill is not Tom Brady. We all know this. And uh, a lot of Titans fans wish that Ryan Tannehill literally was Tom Brady. Like they wish the Titans had signed Tom Brady when he was a free agent a couple of years ago. But um, Ryan Tannehill made it work with really subpar receivers last year. They're better than they were last year. So we're back on that conversation on accident, I guess. But um, yeah, all that to say, like, A.J. Brown didn't want to be here. He Like, he just didn't want to be here. So I don't know what else. You could tell that Dory like, Jackson didn't want to be here either. And he, you could tell in the way that he presented the information, presented his stories at USC and translated them into the NFL, where he didn't really like Vrabel's style. And I don't know. I think A.J. Brown tolerated variable style of coaching but you can obviously see that from his interactions with the media from his interactions with fans and his penchant or his um affection for the way that marcus led the team over with the way that Tannehill leads the team that he prefers to be have a little bit of coddling thrown his way he doesn't like the in-your-face style of the Tennessee Titans. And if that's the case, that's the case. We, I, I'm with Vrabel. I'm like, if they don't want to be here and don't want to join up, then get them out of here because it's not yeah. good to keep players just to keep them. Right. And I think the, the main thing that Mike Vrabel does is holds people accountable. And if you think really highly of yourself, sometimes you don't want to be held accountable. And I think that's probably where A.J. Brown was at. You know, we've heard him on Bussin' with the Boys say he wants to be the best receiver he thinks he already is one of the best receivers in the nfl and on like a yards per route run basis maybe he is but on a consistent production basis he's not even close and a long time before he was traded justin Mello and i on our podcast talked like what is aj brown's value what is he worth i know you talked about it on this podcast too like and we tried i tried to compare him to like the debo samuels and even like the dk metcalfs and like on the field i test Eye-popping plays, big plays, yes, he does make them. But when you look at the production, and I know the Titans don't pass the ball as much, but even so, like, the production is just not there. And Some the of that drops, is because he can't stay oof. healthy. Yeah, And the, the drops, drops last too. year were killer. Yeah. So and he's not going to a, be in Tennessee. 
Right. Yeah. And he's not going, he's, he thinks that uh, what will make him a better football player or let lead to more success is playing with his BFF. And I think that he's going to find out that's not the case because his BFF Jalen hurts is not that great of a quarterback. And they're, they ran the ball the most towards the end of the last 12 weeks than any other team in the NFL and that's when they were winning games. So that's probably, they're probably not going to go away from the run game. And on top of that, you have Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard there, which is going to eat into his production more than not having anybody. I mean, it was just him some games. And I think it will be interesting to see how that all plays out versus the team approach that Tennessee Titans have gone now in their passing game where that's basically a wide receiver by committee let's let's i think that's the best way to say it is that they're a wide receiver by committee you the it, you don't know they're not going to rely on one wide receiver to get them through a game they're going to rely on many pass catchers including the tight ends and the last thing i want to say on that is that nick sirianni compared to mike Vrabel as like a head coach it's it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Like, yeah, you're going from Mike Vrabel, oh, like one of the like a true winner as a player and as a coach, to Nick Sirianni, who compared his team to a flower last year. But maybe that's what AJ Brown needs is to be treated like a delicate little flower, and uh, maybe he's he'll a, find more. He's a little daffodil or a daisy. <laughs> Anything else you need to get off your chest before we head out? Yeah, listen to my podcast too, guys. If you yeah, like there you go. This. <laughs> and listen to around the uh, NFL. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you occasionally pop up on that. So, you know, listen yeah. to around the NFL uh, heroes. This is uh, some of their best content comes from the summer when they're not, when they don't have anything to talk about and they just get off on tangents. So these are some of my favorite episodes or the summer episodes. Oh yeah. I totally agree. Thanks. Well, this has been football and other F words. You can follow me on Twitter at efforts pod. You can follow Justin Graver at Titans film room on Twitter. When will we actually get, a film from Titans film room. Is is there one in the works? You know, I started a couple and then I abandoned them um, over the last couple of months. The last video I did was the playoff hype video. And I think that, you know, I put so many hours into that one and I had like a little mini series kind of planned for it to take us through the playoffs. And then they blew the first (laughs) game that it really just like was very heartbreaking for me and like demotivating to make content. So I'll definitely have something before the season starts. Um, But I don't have a timetable for you. (laughs) Sorry. Well, turn those notifications on for Titans film room who will probably disappoint you and not live up to his name, but follow him on Twitter at Titans film room, go to uh, anywhere that you listen to your podcast, plug in the music city audible and listen to him and Justin Mello of the draft network and broadwaysportsmedia.com and listen to them every Tuesday morning. And for that, after that, you've just been effed. Broadway Sports Media Production.